0: plushcare.com slash loss
1: Before you begin listening to this episode, please be aware that the topics discussed on this podcast may be triggering for those following the news story around the disappearance of Sarah Everard last week. Hi, I'm Francesca Spector, and you're listening to Alone Month, the podcast that broadens the conversation around alone time. Each episode, I ask my guests about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. At the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a good or bad experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. My guest this week is poet Holly McNish. Holly has been described by critics as a bewildering law unto herself. And you know what? That's pretty accurate. Forget everything you thought you knew about poetry. Holly, who formerly went by the pseudonym Holly Poetry, is a far cry from the poets you learnt about for your GCSE coursework. She writes her poetry in the notes section of her iPhone, is unafraid to cover topics that others shy away from, from masturbation to breastfeeding, and was the first poet to record a spoken word album at the famous Abbey Road Studios in London. This is one of my favourite episodes I've done for the podcast so far, and I hope you get a lot from listening to this episode. I really like being
2: on my own. I'm on my own a lot like my whole I don't have colleagues haven't had colleagues for years really not colleagues that you go into an office and like see every day um so I'm on my own a lot for my job and then for touring (laughs) I'm on my own a lot um obviously live with the kids so don't always chat to like an adult at night and stuff but yeah then sometimes times that I would really like to enjoy being alone I just feel scared which pisses me off quite a lot But then actually I went for a walk the other day around the city and got like shouted at by this bloke and then it got a bit dark. And then I was like, oh, if I felt safe, I'd love to be alone a lot more. And I love being outside and looking at the stars. But if I go and do that on my own, which I'd like to, I then feel quite scared that someone's going to murder me.
1: I recorded this podcast episode with Holly at the beginning of the year And it's harrowing to listen back after the tragic news story around the disappearance of Sarah Everard this week, which has given our conversation an eerie resonance. So much of mine and Holly's conversation is focused around fear, the fear of being physically alone as a woman. When we were recording, it struck me how much we both just accept on a day-to-day basis the experiences that we share. For instance, Holly speaks about being too scared to go for walks near where she lives. So she cycles, so she can at least outrun anyone who might chase her. To think that we just swallow that on a daily basis is pretty sickening. I thought a lot about whether to share this episode in its entirety or not. I worried that it might prove triggering to some people which is why I've included a warning at the beginning. At points during this podcast both me and Holly play down the very real very valid fears that we express and given the events of the past couple of weeks I thought it was important to share this. It's not right how we're discussing it, but it's an honest reflection of how much we, as women, have just internalised these fears and inhibitions for so long, and that needs to change. Sarah Everard disappeared after she walked home through Clapham at 9.30 on the 3rd of March 2021. At time of writing, it has been confirmed that human remains were found in Woodland in Kent while a serving Met police officer in his 40s has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Sarah's disappearance shows that even taking all the safety precautions we're told we should as women, including calling a partner on the way home and walking along a main road, even when doing all that, the worst can still happen. This horrific story has led to women sharing their experiences privately and on social media about the baseline of fear that we live with and the constant safety precautions we take on a day-to-day basis, even in a seemingly progressive country like the UK. Running through this podcast episode is a very serious discussion about the implications of being physically alone as a woman. I hope this episode makes you think.
2: Hi, yeah, can you hear me all right?
1: Yeah, absolutely great. Oh,
2: wicked. All right, perfect. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm good, thank you. How are you?
2: Yeah, good. All right. Managed to get my my daughter to talk a little bit more quietly.
1: Bless her. her. Did you have to bribe her?
2: No, she's all right. I've given her potato waffles for breakfast. I think that was like enough bribery. Yeah, I think
1: that was (laughs) for me as well. (laughs) Excellent bribery tactic. To start off with, let's let's talk more broadly. How has your alone time played out recently? I know you've probably been homeschooling.
2: Yeah, have been homeschooling. It's all it's all right to be honest. I still get quite a lot of time by myself, which I think a lot of parents especially are not at the moment, but that's mainly because I co parent and don't I'm not with and don't live with my daughter's partner. So I think actually I get sort of three evenings a week to myself still I've only got one child and she's at her dad's three evenings a week so that is my current alone time but unfortunately it's mainly the time that I catch up on my job (laughs) so it's like so basically I think my alone time at the moment is sort of between four to six when my daughter's on Roblox with her friends. That's it. So it's not <laughs> alone, but it's still no one like wants me. Yeah. And there's video games around.
1: Those blissful <laughs> two hours. It's, you know, it's so funny. I was listening to um, Helena Bonham Carter on Louis Theroux's Grounded podcast and she was talking <sighs> about co-parenting in the same way. She was saying, you know, she gets that, those periods of, of time alone.
2: Yeah. But, and you get periods of time where no one knows where you are. And where you can actually just leave the house without like giving a reason. It is pretty amazing. Like that side of it is obviously like downsides. But that side of living on your own with a kid is is pretty good if you co-parent. I imagine if you're like a single parent, it is the opposite. Because on the days when I'm with my daughter, obviously, I actually physically can't really leave the house without (laughs) without her. So it's the opposite. So I guess, yeah, more intense on the day she's here and then you get some yeah time yeah it's weird to have total freedom where you can just go out for a walk if you want and no one asks where you're going to be or how long you're going to be or why or if there's a problem <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's funny yeah because I imagine I don't know, I imagine normally as a parent there's maybe you know that tension when there's one parent that your child always goes to when there's a problem for instance
2: that is so true and also a lot of I I genuinely don't know what it's like for most of the dads because it's the mums that I talk to about it. But most of them say that at weekends, even if it's like both parents, neither of them really, really get any time alone because you're still both kind of on duty. You don't sort of say, right, today's your day, tomorrow's my day sort of thing. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, just seeing families walking past my window on walks. And um, I've got to say, where there's two parents and kids. They look the most annoyed a parent on their own they sort of look overjoyed or a parent with one kid or seems to be quite a quite a difference
1: that's so
0: yeah funny.
2: yeah I yeah
1: know. I wouldn't have thought about it like that but yeah of course it's kind of like yeah you can you're in either in the mum zone or you're not yeah and you can actually go
2: and I guess it's always a bit half and half isn't it when your kid's still there but I snuck off, <laughs> I snuck off yesterday <laughs> at lunchtime she was having a, a zoom and I was like it's my lunch break I'm gonna have a bath there's gotta be some like upsides of all this (laughs) rubbish so I sort of snuck into the bath for an hour um until she caught me but that sort of thing I don't know if I'd have done with another adult in the house because I think I would have felt too guilty to look like I was relaxing too much if I had a partner that was like working or even maybe a flatmate I'm not sure but yeah if it's just a kid that that catches me I'm much less frightened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hey, I'm here, I'm in the bath, I'm owning it. Yeah, she's like, oh my God, you're having a bath? And I was like, oh, you playing with your mates? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the bath. <laughs> oh, God, God. I mean, I'm a long way off parenthood, but, you know, <laughs> I hear these stories, I hear these stories of, you know, uh, especially, like, new parents finding it hard to even, like, go to the loo by themselves or have a shower. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. That's o- that time's over for me now, it's much... Easier with. I've only got one kid, so I really and as I said, I get a couple of days on my own. But yeah, ten year olds are all right.
1: Knows how to plug into Zoom by this point.
2: Yeah, and it knows how to set up a conference call and let me have a bath. It's all good great. Wow. So
1: she, so she's tech support as well. That's, pretty, that's yeah. I think that's.
2: I think that's that's the positive of all this stuff. Thinking your kids getting too much screen time, but actually they're just going to be like computer wizards. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying to myself anyway.
1: Broadly, when I say the words alone. What do you think of first? I
2: think the first thing that I think of is space. So I was thinking about this a lot. just space to be on your own. Like I think of it positively, when I think of it first. Alone is like really special as well. But then as soon as I started thinking about that, I also sort of started thinking about danger, so I guess it's those two things. like I really like being on my own. I'm on my own a lot like my whole I don't have colleagues haven't had colleagues for years really not colleagues that you go into an office and like see every day um so I'm on my own a lot for my job and then for touring <laughs> I'm on my own a lot um obviously live with the kids so I don't always chat to like an adult at night and stuff um but yeah then sometimes times that I would really like to enjoy being alone I just feel scared which pisses me off quite a lot so if I think being in cafes I think I missed that a lot with lockdown just nobody knowing who you are like genuinely like that much alone that you're like a stranger to everybody and you can just sort of people watch and people don't know you I love that but then actually I went for a walk the other day around the city and got like shouted at by this bloke and then it got a bit dark and then I was like oh if I felt safe I'd love to be alone a lot more and I love being outside and looking at the stars but if I go and do that on my own, which I'd like to, I then feel quite scared that someone's gonna murder me, basically. I mean that's what I'm saying. it's it's, it's, it's
1: annoying. It's it's you know, such to be a woman. And that's so interesting that it sort of coexists, that sense of space and fear. It makes me think um when I go to visit my parents, because I'm I'm bubbling with them at the moment, there's some woods near their house and it's honestly the most blissful thing to go for a walk through those woods by myself, except I I tend to time it at, I, I almost, I sort of walk <laughs> a few meters into these woods and I sort of look around and see if there's any sort of groups of people. And I, I, you know, I tend to time it at busier times when they'll be around. And it's it's a real, I completely get that difficulty of not being able to be alone in a way that feels secure.
2: Yeah, it's so annoying. And that's, I think, like I ask my partner quite a lot if he'll just come, like come and stand outside with me when he's visiting because I just want to stand in like this bit down the road and look at the stars. It's so like rural where I live, but I just won't do it on my own. But I think also it's been, it's been spoiled for me. Like a few times I've had really horrible experiences like never actually anyone physically touched me but I, I had a great idea a couple of years ago to go to it like you like a, a forest near us but it's, it's like it's like a, a park forest so there's like a cafe in it it's not huge or anything it's not really really outfit um and I took my book and I took my pen and paper and I thought right this is amazing actually I need to you know make the most of living in a really boring village (laughs) and I um, go and work from there while my daughter's at school and so I went into a slightly less populated area of this country park um and after about half an hour of feeling like oh this is blissful so nice and quiet this weird guy came over and started circling me telling me it was his birthday asking me to stroke his head like really it was (laughs) really intimidating and um and that's happened. That sort of thing has happened, I'd say, about five times in different settings where I have thought I'll sit on this park, you know, on this bench or whatever. And then a guy came on his bike and then just cycled back and then just stood in front of the bench, just staring at me, not saying anything. It's really weird. It's, yeah. So I think it's been spoiled quite a lot for me. So now I always take my bike and a lot of my friends sort of laugh at me because I don't really want to go walk in. I don't like walking at all. I really like cycling. Um, but I don't like walking on my own because I just feel like if I got into some sort of trouble, yeah, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So I always take my bike and then I love cycling alone. <laughs> so I feel more secure moving, being alone and looking at countryside whilst I'm on a piece of equipment that could possibly outrun
1: somebody chasing me. <laughs> that's,
2: that's my good alone time.
1: Oh, that makes me so sad that um, that you're limited there. It is a shame.
2: I mean, uh, loads of people obviously have it much worse. I'm, I'm sort of fairly young and healthy and stuff. I can't imagine what I'm going to be like <laughs> when
1: I'm elderly.
2: <laughs> I just need a
1: chaperone to go out and do anything. Uh, I always think about this in terms of like, in, in the past, obviously women weren't actually allowed to go out without chaperones, which is bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Is bonkers. My grand
2: said that she used to stand outside the pub and stuff. I think that's also why it's ah, uh, it's just an extra feeling of freedom. I think that I feel if I ever travel on my own, or which I have to do for my work a lot, but sitting on trains, places where I guess, like say, feel pretty safe. Um, I just find it so gorgeous, even if I'm surrounded by people.
1: You know, I, I think it was interesting what you said about working at cafes as well, that sort of feeling of being surrounded by others. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's not technically alone. And yet there's a real feeling of, I, you know, I, I think definitely like freedom and, and, and aloneness. And it's like a celebration of your aloneness.
2: Yeah, it is. It's so it's so freeing, I think, to just be by yourself in places like that. And also, I've got to say, for me, I do love seeing people because otherwise, if I didn't do that, I would just be sitting every day working on, on my own, mainly unless I rarely had a meeting. But I don't live in a city, so I don't often like meet face to face with people. But it's also it's silly, the things that I sort of miss living on my own as an adult. There are some things which are honestly just brilliant, I've got to say, which I love so much. But nobody making me a cup of tea is such a tiny thing. But (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons that pulls me to a cafe. Just not just somebody like making me a treat. And I love it if I go to stay with my boyfriend or friends and somebody else makes you a cup of tea, which at the moment, I guess in lockdown, it's ridiculous. I'm obviously missing other things more than that. Um, But just the joy of somebody else making you a hot drink. So I've, you know, been cycling. Of, there's no, there's nothing where I live, so I've been cycling sort of forty minutes to get just to take away a cup of tea before I start work. Sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> that feels really nice. <laughs> so yeah, highs and lows. But I've also been trying to train my daughter to make up, put it on like this very small chore list is to get me a cup of tea on a Sunday morning.
1: <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> It's like look, I'm really sorry,
2: but this will re- this will really get me in a better mood if you just ask if I want to go have a cup of tea on a Sunday.
1: No, it's it's amazing. You, yeah, you start small with the tea, and then you know she'll be a Michelin starred chef by the end of the year, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I do that quite a lot, and it's a really funny thing. Sometimes part of my routine is genuinely to go and walk to the coffee shop and to like have that social interaction because that's yeah. enough. I feel that's enough to almost give a flavor to your alone time and make that positive as well I suppose like that balance
2: yeah I think so it's weird isn't it like like, I know a lot of people (laughs) I obviously miss my family in lockdown but I miss my friends a bit more desperately I think and I didn't think I'd miss strangers like being around strangers but I really miss that um so yeah, even if I, if I do go outside and walk or cycle, I always go the route that I think I'll see, see people.
1: Yeah. It's funny. So I speak about that in the book, actually. Um, I call it conspicuous alonement and it's so funny, but so the reason apparently there's a, there was, um, cause I, I found this when, when lockdown happened at first, cause I was so used to writing in coffee shops like you and I found it, very strange you know why am I missing being alone around other people why am I missing being that sort of creep in the corner of the coffee shop watching everyone <laughs> and okay so but but there is there is actually and I'm justifying this here there is actually psychological um a study a study behind why we like it so this study they did where people sat again groups of strangers they either ate a piece of delicious chocolate by themselves or they ate a piece of delicious chocolate in the presence of a stranger. And the people who ate the delicious chocolate in the presence of a stranger, even though they didn't speak, they enjoyed it more. And so it's something, it's amazing. It's something about shared experiences being better, even if you're sort of alone in them. That's really amazing.
2: It's kind of uplifting as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's,
2: I love the word conspicuous as well. Also loved the word delicious when you were saying it. I've got to say, <laughs> I was thinking, what if they gave it not delicious chocolate? <laughs> but yeah, conspicuous. I think yeah, it must be what it is. Because I, I was thinking, do I, is it because I like seeing people or I like people seeing me? And I'm sure it's a bit of both. Like after spending so much time on your own, I feel like I just wanted someone to acknowledge that I existed even a nod as you walk past them or yeah I guess as well if you've got people around you there's like a chance if it's in a safe environment there's a chance that something might happen that you didn't expect or plan whereas if you're on your own sort of spontaneity of sort of life onto you is a bit less yeah
1: no I think you're right I think um obviously you know you can create spontaneity and novelty when you're by yourself, but it's sort of it's harder. It it is harder. Like that there Mm -hmm. is more, there's more momentum almost when you're with other people to sort of create that outsideness.
2: Yeah, I guess in if I'm walking around and you see obviously lots of beautiful things in nature, that does it. Like if a bird suddenly lands on the tree outside my window, I get pretty excited these days.
1: (laughs) 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 So that's the highlight. I totally get what you mean about nature as well, because I think it was, I mean, you know, the last time that being alone was cool was kind of in the, you know, romantic poetry era when, you know, Wordsworth would go wandering, experiencing the bliss of solitude. And, but that, that that would be within nature. That would be, as you say, this spontaneity that can come from other people that can also come from nature. And, you know, this is why walking in a forest as a woman would feel really great.
2: Oh, it would feel so great. It would be so good, wouldn't it? I always think that at night, like I love the night time. I love that like gloaming time in the evening. But just knowing that it's going to be dark soon. It's like, oh. Also, there's certain things I find it, I find it funny having yeah I guess being alone more than I normally am like I used to see a friend each day really after the school run and go to someone's house or stay for dinner or whatever quite a lot like we not don't often spend that that much time alone after like school times but I find it funny on your own how we're still so set on certain things that are like culturally acceptable to do on your own so I've noticed I don't, I don't like walking. I don't really like walking anyway, I've got to say, but the fear thing does, you know, add to it in certain places, but I I really hate running unless it's like to play football or whatever sports. I like sports, but I I hate running. I'm really not a jogger. I'm never going to be a person that's going to do like a 5k or a marathon or whatever, but I find it amazing how for an adult, there's certain things it's like, it's culturally acceptable to go for a run but like roller skating, scooting, skateboarding, it's like cycling's all right. We've got this like really thin line of what things are all right to do, especially on your own as an adult, like even in groups. I think we have to get into groups as an adult to like fight against the cultural like laughter at us, basically, to do things that you just prefer doing. So if, if I'm with my daughter, our daily exercise is mainly on our roller skates so I still got some from when I was like 17 I think and I, I hate walking it's so slow I'm short my legs are short <laughs> <laughs> I don't like running I don't find really any pleasure in it maybe I haven't tried it enough but um I don't, I don't want to get like hot and sweaty I'm not going out to do like a, a exercise routine I'm just wanting you know <laughs> to skate but I went and dropped her off at a dad's the other day on my skates and she was on her skates felt totally fine because it looks like oh sweet like a parent you know joining in with your kids but I took shoes in my bag so that to skate back which is about it's like a half hour skate it's not not a lot um because I thought oh, I can't I can't now do this on my own to go back what if like what if I fall and I'm on my own I look like a total dick like And I've I've noticed as well, I used to like scoot to the school run with my daughter. It's like a 45 minute walk and we always just walk or scoot or cycle. And she had a scooter and I was so bored of doing this like adult half walk, half job. Like it's so boring doing the stuff that adults are allowed to do. So I bought a scooter as well. But coming, dropping her off at school and then trying to scoot back amongst loads of parents, like the jip that you get for just being on a scooter as an adult like we're so like butthurt about what other adults do that isn't this tiny you know tiny tiny acceptability I've got a neighbor who's a bodybuilder and so he's got to do his exercise routine he's not in the gym he's like does those sort of muscle competitions and stuff and we don't have a place where he can do it really sort of shared gardens and stuff in the back but the concrete is like a communal space so he's like skipping there and doesn't seem to be embarrassed at all about doing it, but I guess because it's like an adult thing that he's doing it for, you know? Whereas I ju- I've just been thinking like, God, all the things that I feel stupid doing on my own are the things that I much prefer doing. To
1: the- <laughs> That's to so the- interesting. Like skates versus walking. Versus yeah. And, and, so, quite- and so when you drop your daughter off, you would then you would then take separate shoes and walk home, even though you don't like walking rather than... I did just these once because it's been the only time I think I've skated her to her dad's and then
2: thought then I'll have to skate back but in the end she sort of took the piss out of me and I didn't want her to think that oh once you get to a certain age you then have to start being embarrassed of things that you find really fun like it's such a crappy example for a kid so then she was sort of laughing at me and then I was like no, no no I'm gonna skate I'm gonna skate and then, like, I, I'm all right at skating, but I'm not <laughs> excellent. I can, like, yeah, I'm all right at it, but it's not like I'm never going to trip. And I tripped as soon as I got out of, like, the, the flat, the apartment block, and she sort of didn't see me out the window and then was watching and sort of shouting at me as I skated up. But I felt like an idiot, and I loved it. And if, if I was actually alone then, I would have loved it. But every single time an adult passed me in my head, I thought, think I'm an adult roller skater therefore they think I'm a dickhead
1: that's so funny you know what there is again another study that I've got in my upcoming book uh kind of speaks to why that is so because I'd never thought like why do I feel good doing x but but I don't you know don't feel okay doing y that's you know that's a bit more fun or you know why do you know why do we distinguish between activities when we're by ourselves, because you know, going going to the supermarket or going for a run, that seems fine. But yeah, roller skating, not so much. Um, yes. So apparently, we're okay doing uh, what we call utilitarian things. So you know, like just literally basic things you have to do. But things that are you know that are hedonic, that actually have that built-in fun and pleasure, because we have this perception that we should be doing fun things in groups, or that we generally would do fun things in groups, we distinguish, so we feel more self conscious, when we're by ourselves doing those fun things, that's something that they did, you know, it did a huge study of different people, and everyone did find that they were more self conscious doing those certain activities, which
2: That's amazing and so lovely that I can now think if I roller skate that I'm too much of a hedonist for people to cope with it. (laughs) That's it. I don't know if this is sort of what the study (laughs) was about, but it kind of made me think about sex when you were talking about that, which I guess is another, for me, amazing thing about living alone is, is masturbating, just to be blunt about it. And I find it really funny being a <laughs> being a parent that lives on my own that you're allowed to, basically like, like, like heterosexual married couples around me are allowed to admit to their children that they have sex, but they still will only do that in that utilitarian way. Like they won't admit to their kids, m- most of them, some of them are more open, but they won't. They still say like, oh, mummy and daddy, you know, are, do this because we want to make a baby or because whatever. But this, this like, make it, we're having sex to make a baby thing, is still, it was reeled out by so many parents around me when our kids were young, and it was all right to tell your kid that sex was about making a baby, but it's not all right to tell them that it's just for pleasure with each other. And also the idea, like I told my daughter that I masturbate, basically, and <laughs> one of the other parents that I told was horrified that I told her that but I thought this is my version of you having sex with your husband that your children are allowed to know about but apparently it's just to make babies um but mine is like it's a very safe thing to do like it's, it's you know this I think it's one of the safest most environmentally friendly cheap free activities you can do alone and that again Bit like roller skating, but for slightly different reasons. Slightly different reasons, but maybe similar-ish is has been like frowned upon for centuries and deemed a sin. And yeah, I find I find that really funny because there's no there's no point to it, obviously, other than to have a very lovely, <laughs> relaxing evening yeah. by yourself. Um, so I guess that is completely hedonistic, and it's much it's well, it's it's a pleasure, isn't it? So it's seen as more sinful than reproductive.
1: Sexes. it's so strange I think um yeah I mean I constantly you know it, it's that classic joke that you have with your parents like oh well obviously so I've, <laughs> yeah. I've got a brother so obviously you've only ever had sex twice <laughs> <laughs> in your entire marriage <laughs> but I you know I also think there's more of a stigma talking about masturbation as opposed to couples talking about their sex life again there's that strange thing okay you can only do something fun with another person
2: yeah, or yeah, totally. And also, I guess from like a parenting point of view, it's definitely seen as all right to talk about, but masturbation isn't. It's like, what do you want your kids to do first, especially with girls? Mm. Like the timeline of most boys is that they do start masturbating before they then touch somebody else. So they get to know what they like and how to do things. But loads of girls don't. They sort of please other people before or they're disgusted to do it or nobody talks about it. I remember that at school with me and I, it's changing, but it hasn't changed that much. It's like, what what do you want your daughter to think it's all right to do first? Like just straight into the straight into the baby sex or <laughs> to masturbate. Yeah, it's, it's quite, or it's seen as, I think sometimes it's seen as this like, well, well, lonely activity, which I find that really ridiculous that it's not seen as something that you would do, because you're alone and enjoy it, and it's a positive thing. Which for me, oh my God, it bloody well is. But it's seen as this sort of—that's what you would do if you are single, yeah. If you're not with your partner,
1: you're so right when you say that. And and yet, thinking about that actual experience, what is more lonely—being with a partner that you that you don't like, or you know, a partner that doesn't doesn't care about your needs and your relationship might be failing or even you know the 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 kind of idea of like a sexual fling but them again not being emotionally very good for you you know what's more what's more sad and lonely having that situation or learning to pleasure yourself yeah which obviously like from the amount of
2: stories about unhappy relationships you hear it's pretty pretty obvious which one seems to be seems to be worse I I find it strange as well like lots of people that I talk to women more who don't feel that satisfied in heterosexual relationships I guess or feel that they could say what they actually want um which I do think is harder for heterosexual women um sneak off to masturbate So it's like this secret thing that you do in a couple. And I know that's not the same with everyone, but sort of like stepping out of the house to just, oh, I'm going for a walk and having somebody say, oh, why? Oh, are you trying to get away? Why do you want to be on your own? As if wanting to be on your own, if you're living with someone or in a couple, is like really negative. As if if you want to be on your own, it means you don't want to be with them rather than you just want to be on your own. I think those are two really, really different things. Um, yeah, that you that you just want to be by yourself. It's not that you want space away, or maybe it is, but it's not necessarily. And I think the same with masturbation. Like, I, I know quite a few people that sort of sneak off to do it, or I guess people that are stay-at-home parents um, when everyone's out the house, which now with lockdown isn't really possible, but that sneak away, either because they're embarrassed that they do it or feel guilty or because the partner sort of sees it as kind of adulterous, like you're kind of sneaking off, like why why aren't they sort of good enough? Or Like it's so complicated, whereas I think like, masturbating is so different from being with someone. Like I think they're both brilliant, but I gen- genuinely feel like I've got two sex lives and that even if I lived with a partner again, I'd still want to keep a bit of the one by myself. I'm not by myself with someone watching or doing it together just like literally <laughs> having a night by myself to try stuff that might be awkward or impossible physically with somebody else there yeah
1: so you think that solitude plays a really important role in female sexuality you know in or out of a relationship yeah and I'm sure male as well like for
2: anyone because we're told so much aren't we about like what sexy like and what good sex is like I've read so much crap growing up about like position of the month and best way especially for female I'd say because obviously there's quite a lot of pressure and heterosexual sex for penetrative sex to be like the thing uh, obviously that's been shown as like sex because that's reproductive sex and i think it's been the only sex that's not seen as like sinful so it's been you know it's got lower censorship ratings than a lot of oral sex and things like that so i found that being alone like having my own my own house for the last 5 years obviously it's not my own like my daughter's here but she's not here two days a week just the amount of time I've been able to spend not just masturbating, like it sounds like you're just, you know, but just learning what I actually like and trying to get rid of all this stuff. Like, do you like just everything? Like, do you actually like this? Do you like being touched like this do you like using lube do you like what are you actually thinking of when there's not a guy next to you that even if you are really comfortable with you're still kind of trying to impress in a way that has been built into you for years so just like letting my mind wander when I'm on my own I guess having sex by myself you'd probably put it but letting my mind wander about things that actually turn me on rather than things I've been told and how like what sounds do I make when I'm in no way aware of trying to let you know I've read lots of articles about women should make noise so that he knows that he's doing it right or you know but sometimes I I don't wanna be like a sat nav for somebody else. I just, <laughs> just I just wanna I just wanna make whatever noise actually comes naturally. And it, I think it got to a stage where I was like, does this come naturally? Is this natural or am I still acting? Like what what's the line? Because there's so much that you're told um that maybe is relevant and maybe isn't but I yeah. think I think alone time for that and a lot of the older women in my family I've spoken to them so much about sex and my grandma especially which I didn't expect and she didn't think like female orgasm existed she didn't think she thought it was a myth she thought oral sex was a myth like all this different stuff and she said sex was the biggest disappointment of her life um and she said she just was never on her own like she never had a, a space on her own I guess like Virginia Woolf. Um, Like that book, A Room of One's Own. It's like, oof, there's so many things that you need a room of your own for. (laughs) I think it was a bit about masturbation, although I have not read that in a long time. Um, but yeah, just it's just like actually, as some of my grand's age, if you'd been told that this is sex, like this is sex and no one had told you anything else. Like, how would you have known what would turn you on it's not so physically obvious as it is for boys yeah to do with your that's, body
1: that's exactly it and also um you know to start with I, I adore and you write about this a lot in slug I adore that you've had these candid conversations with your grandma about sex <laughs> yeah, I love that <laughs> It's pretty pretty unique, um, and even even you know we grew up li- likely on these sort of cosmopolitan ten ways to please mm-hmm. your man, of which I do not think there's an equivalent for men. There, there just isn't, you know, and um, you know I, I I like to think that's changing. I'm not sure how much that is the case, um, but there, but there is so much I suppose to unlearn as a woman before you can enjoy your sexuality um yeah
2: or as a straight woman I think a lot of my friends who are queer women don't really have the same issues (laughs) 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 I don't think they've been blinded by quite so many Hollywood movies as as heterosexual women really but yeah that's but it's so it makes me really annoyed that the unlearning bit of it it really annoys me and I remember somebody saying to me, oh, but isn't it always like that when you're a teenager and you're sort of fumbling and you don't know what to do? And it's like, no, it's not like that. It's like 10 years without having any orgasms when you're starting your <laughs> sexual thing or whatever it is for people. Or a lifetime Or I've got friends that have had their first one in their 40s now and some people that I know have never had them. Um, but it makes me so angry that it's just this sort of crappy education and culture which has sort of robbed you of like this free pleasure that you could get i've re- i really find like all the i've been reading all the kind of historic stuff about obviously and and boys were told it too not just not just girls but it's been more long term for girls i think the sort of anti masturbation protests um it's amazing the things that you know science or religion claimed that it would do like obviously blindness was a big one um I was reading about Kellogg's like the guy that invented cornflakes but that's in in the book I was reading about it and he invented cornflakes as an anti-masturbation cereal because he thought like spicy foods and flavored foods were really sinful so they resulted in like pleasure which was sinful so cornflakes were actually invented as a food like so bland that it would be like an anti-sexual food it's amazing he's his history and he was really against sex and he was really against masturbation and he invented like cages to, to put children in if they couldn't stop masturbating. This is John Kellogg's one of the brothers, the other one didn't. Um, he was really, he was really pro like clitoral burning um, and these sort of contraptions to put on boys' penises to stop them masturbating. Like there's been a lot historically against this alone act, but I think that it, fascinates me because I I get the religious stuff about pleasure being sinful like that's quite hard to argue against sort of ardent people that do believe that sort of thing um but just the fact that it's you know we still don't really talk about it in sex education so much like it's getting in there but it's really safe (laughs) like of all the sexual acts that you can do masturbation is like it's so safe. Like you can't, there's no STDs. There's no, you know, fear of pregnancy. There's no fear that this person might actually not be a very nice person. There's no emotional trauma. It's free. It's like good for the environment. It's just amazing that this, this thing that actually can bring you so much pleasure and has no negative side effects really. Um, has been demonised for like centuries. So, like in Victorian times, they taught i was reading that they told um, parents that they shouldn't let little girls go on rocking horses because it was too like stimulating in that sort of way. Um, and obviously, they should side saddle horses and then side saddle bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At f- like because you're opening your legs, so it's like too sexual and it's manly. Um, but yeah, for the rocking horses for the little girls was because it was yeah it could be deemed too sort of sexually stimulating. That's why I like cycling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it literally comes full circle <laughs> back to the back to the cycling. Oh yeah, we, we've sniffed her out now. <laughs> but
2: yeah yeah so I find I really find it all really really fascinating things I think that it you,
1: is yeah. and it's so it's so powerful when you actually address it when you actually think you know all this that we internalize that you know I think we're all you know however progressive we are we're all still unpacking things every day of course you know why aren't people taught in sex education that you know masturbation is not only okay it's also you know, such a good thing to do. And it's also so, instead of being shrouded in shame, it's actually entirely guilt-free. Yeah, entirely guilt-free, but it's talked about
2: as if it's like the sort of the worst thing. I've, I just think of like sex education lessons at school, we put like condoms on a carrot and that was it really. So the the, the safe side of sex was just making a penis safe to put in us basically.
1: yeah that was it it was
2: as if that is the safest that sex can get which is bollocks <laughs> that's like the second least safe that sex can get quite literally that's a very
1: good that's a very good point I love it. there's a part of the book actually that this really speaks to um and you it, it's a poem called show face and you talk about the <laughs> the difference between the face that you make when you masturbate alone and the face that you try to make I think it so sort of speaks to that idea of like almost performative versus yeah. just enjoying yourself just I think so do you know I've
2: got to say and I don't know if I should say this on a podcast I th- I feel like I share quite a lot in the book but I still do not share very, very very personal stuff but I actually wrote that poem I was talking to one of my friends Kat about it um and we were we were just talking about that, and but we started the conversation because <laughs> I'd basically been masturbating at home, um, and at one point, sort of just stopped. You know, when you have that sort of out of body thing and think, "What am I doing? Like, what am I doing?" And I was, <laughs> I was really, I was really sort of. It was quite cold in my house, but I wanted to be warm. So I like sat next to the radiator to do it. And then I really liked the feel of the radiator like on my breast basically. So then at one point I sort of stopped. This is not my normal like position to masturbate in. But I was like, Holly, you're literally crouched on your floor with your nipples like against the radiator (laughs) and then off it because it's getting a bit hot. This is the opposite of what I've seen on every film if they ever have anything about female masturbation you're always like you know your face looks really nice you're still pouting (laughs) your hair is brushed and I thought fuck and then my friend well I I won't tell her thing but we were just talking about how sometimes if you sort of not so much in the mood that is not that easy to have an orgasm but you're like I am going to get there like sometimes it is very easy and sometimes it's like all right I'm good I'm gonna get there I'm not fucking not (laughs) I'm not (laughs) stopping this and the sort of face or positions or whatever you might get into for that so yeah that was uh dedicated to me leaning against the radiator
1: I mean, and I think you do actually. I think the poem, if I remember correctly, is also two cats, I believe, or four yeah. cats. At the end. Yeah, four cats. <laughs> you know, b- beautiful dedication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I think that's a, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that you—if I said
2: like I—I I went on holiday with my partner, but I still went and like masturbated once or twice, I think, and um. Somebody was like, oh, yeah, so that he could watch. It's like, well, well, if he wants to, but not really. Like, that's totally different. That's not the same. In fact, that's that's probably the opposite for me. I'd rather, like, be interactive with someone than somebody just watch me masturbate. Like, that's probably going to make me very much more self-conscious than just to be on show. I feel like I've been told all my life that I should be very comfortable as a female being on show, like, walking around in sexy underwear. That should... I should be really comfortable with that or like dancing for a man or all the other stuff that you're sort of shown that you should be comfortable doing or not even that I'm not comfortable I just don't enjoy it that much I'd much rather yeah squash my boobs up to the radiator and
1: <laughs> that, but it's that permission isn't it is that permission to to be unsexy to be that pure like authentic self that you are and actually just yeah. focus on your own pleasure
2: I think I'd be all right with it if I didn't have all these like Hollywood images in my head. I just need to get them out. That's what I love about being alone as well, like sexually in that way. Because sometimes I think this has happened definitely in the last few years. Like stuff has come into my head, which I would probably refuse to admit that I found sexy because I've actually let myself like my brain just go off on whatever tangent it wants. And sometimes obviously things come into your head that will really put you off. And it's like, for fuck's sake, why have I started (laughs) thinking about that? But I found it really interesting, the sort of things that actually come into my head that I feel sexy about. And sometimes uh, my brain is like, no, Holly, you honestly don't, you don't find that sexy. But my like body is like, I'm afraid I'm afraid you do. That's the problem but yeah that's why it's so it's why it's so safe I guess you can sort of do what you want
1: it is yeah and again again it's that it's that the benefit of alone time to sort of just yeah discover yourself without anyone judging or you know worrying how you're going to look to other people
2: yeah
1: yeah um I wanted the idea of sort of also you know in the in the book you talk a lot about Women not being able to ask for what they want there's a you know a particular poem where you discuss you know that that idea of just not being able to communicate um, as a woman your needs to a man, and you know it's it's seeming like this mystic thing um and so you know you never so you, you know you never actually end up saying it um and I think that idea as well be, of being afraid to ask what you want yeah. Also, it's quite a lonely experience, I think. Yeah, I think it is. And that was that was like
2: the first boy when I that must have been in my late teens. Actually, said, "Like, is that right? Do you like it? Like, what do you like?" And I know there's been stuff like that in like the program sex education, where the guy or the I remember the guy said to one of the characters, "Are you actually enjoying this? Like, what do you actually like?" And she's never thought about it before. But there are so there are so many hurdles, I think, often in saying to a guy who's had the same shitty sex education as well. Like I put up a, a post about this on online the other day um, and I had loads of replies which were way worse than any experience that I've had with guys. Mainly the guys that I've been with have wanted to know um, what I like. And at first I guess I couldn't say because I didn't have a clue myself for a while. Um, so oh yeah, I like the reverse cowgirl. <laughs> do, you, do you Holly, or did you read that in more magazine as well? Like, do you actually like it, or <laughs> have you have you explored that thought? um But yeah, I remember thinking, oh, right, he he wants to know if it's right, and it's not. Like, it's not. <laughs> like I think he was like poking his finger or doing that thing where everything has to st- stimulate, sort of simulate penetrative sex, you know, <laughs> whatever they're doing, and. Um, I thought like I don't know if the way that I masturbate is the way that my friends masturbate because we don't talk about it Mm. and physically I do think it's so different because it's really not like something suddenly pops up and says I know it's not that simple for guys learning to wank but it's a bit more obvious I think the end point is maybe more obvious or the end point in that sort of way um yeah just where to touch is more obvious you see more pictures of penises, like you hear more about erections, whereas with girls, there's like nothing. And we don't like we don't really see other vulvas, especially as a heterosexual woman. So it's not like you've had loads of experience even seeing that anatomy. I find it hard to say the word vulva and labia, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't. Um, so I remember thinking, like, what if I tell this guy to do things that I like And that is nothing like how other girls do it. And then he thinks I'm weird. And also like the the girls at school, I had one friend that admitted that she masturbated and she was immediately deemed a slag. And my boyfriend was saying this as well. He was saying he remembers still the girl at school that told everyone that she did wank and all the guys were like, oh, she's up for it. Wow.
1: Yeah. That that, that made her a slag. (laughs) Yeah. That made her
2: a slag because she touched her own body or it made her like she really wants sex now or it made her weird with the other girls yeah. they were like horrible to her it made her weird i thought god
1: yeah it's 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 so bonkers because it's paradoxical isn't it it's
2: yeah it is it's wrong. and i don't think like most there was a, a study that i was asked to read when i did an advert for a condom company and it was about all these sort of things basically the like, orgasm gap in heterosexual relationships and how hard it is um Often, to speak about what you like or to know what you like sometimes, um, but whatever the research was found that like ninety percent of people in couples want to know, so it 's not like it 's not like people don 't want to please their partner, obviously like ten percent of them didn 't seem to mind but um but then if whenever I put stuff online and whenever I talk to my friends about it, especially people that have dated a few different men, they have some really like horrendous stories which are obviously like defensive from the guy's point of view, I think. So it's not like, oh, what a dick. In my head, it's not like, oh God, he's a bastard. But like a lot of people have said things like they've they've said to a guy, it's mainly about penetrative sex, which I love when I'm turned on, but which does very little if I'm not turned on. So I think that's what I've realised. There's lots of stuff about, oh, this isn't any good. But I do love it, but I didn't love it when I was having it when I was younger, because that was it. And and in that case, it was like nothing for me. And for most women, that's not what is the main thing that's going to make you orgasm or feel a lot of pleasure, but it's obviously obviously the main thing that we see in the culture. But when women had tried to say this to the guys that they were dating, a lot of them had basically acted like she was weird. Like a lot of women I spoke to, women in their 50s even – hadn't realized had just thought they weren't very sexual which I think is the same with my grandma she just said oh women don't really like sex that much but all she was having was like penetrative sex with nothing like around it at all um so yeah that that sort of not knowing what a guy's reaction is going to be and then also feeling like so I either have to stand up for myself that actually this is very normal. And even if it wasn't, like even if what turns you on isn't the norm, that should also be all right for like a lover, a romantic partner. Um, but for for younger girls and less confident people, that is just, it's horrendous to think, I don't know if this is normal. And then also if I do tell you, it still might not work the way that, you know, it still might take longer than you see definitely on screen I think the length of time that women take to come in Hollywood people talk about porn a lot and I know there are horrendous sides to porn which I'm very against but I also think like romantic comedies and stuff do nothing for <laughs> for the way that we see sex um either yeah the length of time it takes that sort of pressure that people feel to be quicker um Yeah, so I think the female orgasm sort of treat like rocket science, whereas I think most women, when they're on their own, are very capable of easily having an orgasm, basically.
1: Um, It sort of, it creates a source of loneliness in the, you know, in in not talking about it. Because, for instance, you know, the example of the girl at school, you said he was called a slag because she said that she masturbated, um, and you know, and if, if women aren't, I, I I you know from my own experience, I think I was way more likely to trade like sex tips with my friends, you know, when when we were first having sex or first exploring that, than I was to ever you know admit to one another that we masturbated. You know, that was yeah, it was so too. much more a thing, yeah. Which is completely bonkers, and you know, it makes again, it creates a loneliness around one experience of masturbation. And yet, you know, and, and you're only allowed to connect around kind of, you know, sex with other people.
2: Yeah. And also it's such a positive thing. I think like now, I think as a female, I feel like I've got all these different sort of ways to have pleasure. Like one of which is penetration. It's, it's very cool. Like <laughs> when you're enjoying it, like it's a very cool addition. It's just not, it doesn't have to be like the entire thing obviously which you're taught it is,
1: but I you know I like what you say about sort of learning to masturbate and learning to well obviously having a sexual relationship with a partner and doing both of them it's simply it's multiple ways to gain pleasure and I think often that's how I sort of defend any type of alone time because I think the minute there is that stigma the minute people think oh you've learned to enjoy yourself alone in any respect they think oh well you don't need other people and it immediately becomes something that's sort of yeah that immediately people go on the defensive or they think oh you're just this hermit and you know actually it's that it's you know with any type of alone time it's that knowing that these experiences can be both pleasurable and equally valid
2: yeah and also I think it's uh, I don't I don't know if I'd say I don't mean jealousy in general for somebody else's life, but I do think there's a hell of a lot of people who feel really lonely with a partner or really lonely, overwhelmed with a family, not because they don't love their partner or their children, but just because all their alone time has basically been taken. Like the guilt, the guilt that I see some friends feel. Just to go out by themselves, away from their child or children, or, or husband or wife or partner or whatever, it's really overwhelming, actually. And I think it—the idea that like, oh, well, you're you're sort of—I feel a bit like like the <laughs> in the village. I mean, there's not many parents living on their own, and you feel like a bit of a sort of uh, like rolled out as the example. And sort of laughed at a bit, <laughs> but also my house is always used for people to like gather in because it doesn't have a man in it or it doesn't have a, a partner in it. Um, so I think there's the idea that when you sort of want a bit of something, you are also a bit of a bitch to people that have it. A bit of jealousy. And I'm not saying they would want to not live with their partner or they want a divorce or they want to split up. I don't mean that. But the like just the extent that alone time is taken away often when you become a parent or move in with a partner. I think, I think it's really bad. <laughs> and I think it really affects people a lot. Like a lot of people I, I see are just so desperate to just get some space, but it's seen as a really negative thing. Cause it's seen as wanting to get away from people rather than just wanting to be with yourself. Hmm
1: yeah which is crazy because you know it's it's an experience that everyone can benefit from having that alone time um i you know I think there's almost i don't know and do you think there's almost a sense that people aren't as you say like allowed to want that alone time because you know it's it's understood for instance that you know it, just society thinks that if you're single you want to be in a relationship. Um, it's the, it's that classic Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> you know, every man in, with a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Yeah. Well, if
2: you're single, you want to be in a relationship. But where where are all the jokes? Like, where are the comedians standing up? All all I hear from sort of, I watch the, so much stand up comedy. I love it. But there are so many married comedians that make jokes about how much they hate being married. Like, it seems to be like a standard joke, and I'm so bored of it i'm just so over it it's like oh but is it a joke like is it's quite sad because i see people in this sort of relationship a lot and it seems really horrible um there's a lot of joke you know they're sort of husband and wife mainly for marriage it doesn't seem to happen so much when people aren't married i don't know but that sort of i don't know that sort of loving joke it's hard to know the balance the loving joke about all oh, the wife or oh, she's doing this or he's doing this Oh, is it a joke though or are there just lots of people that are sort of desperately lonely in their relationships I'm not I'm not really sure or at least to get at least to get like I guess as saying at the beginning co-parenting like for the last four years five years I've had two days a week alone and as a parent that's not normal at all I don't think um but the idea that I would in any way celebrate that or put anything about it online in any posts I know I'd get so much shit for it first of all I guess from people that think it's like bad in a mothering way like you want time on your own (laughs) as if you like hate your child because you also like having time on your own and then also from people that really want some time on your own and it's like you're shoving it in their face but I think in that way there's there's certain things that if you are in a happy relationship, you know, and you, you want to be in that relationship, but you still want to get time alone. I don't know. I'm sure there's got to be another way for like once a week. I know some couples that once a week is like Saturday night is his Sunday night is hers or whatever. They do it like that. And I think it's really healthy because I think it's made a bloody massive difference to my life. Having time away from my kid well it's not even time away from my kid it's just time by myself
1: yeah I think I think it's perfectly valid to say and you know I think if if, you know couples could introduce some element of that co-parenting dynamic if you found it useful then I'm sure that many parents would also find it useful to do that
2: I'm sure they would but there seems to just be a guilt like half of my friends haven't had a night away from their kids in like four years and I don't know how I would have coped. I just don't know how I would have gone with that. Maybe I'm just the worst parent. That's I'm <laughs> <That's... laughs> saying all stuff. I don't. I genuinely don't think I'm. Um, yeah, it's just. It is interesting, isn't it? How the people I know often that are the most lonely are the ones that don't live alone. Yeah, and I'm not saying like I changes a lot when you're forced to live alone. Like my grandma, for example, was very lonely a lot of the time um because she didn't really choose to live alone. It just obviously happened when my granddad died, and she was on her own um but with lots of families still going to see her, but still felt very lonely. but I do find it interesting how you know young younger people who or or whatever age that do choose to live alone is sort of still seen as this saddest depressing state of affairs and I I definitely the loneliest I think I've ever felt is definitely been in crowds of people I was I asked my daughter this actually I gave her like a fake podcast interview when we were eating waffles over breakfast (laughs) (laughs) and asked her when she felt lonely and she said the same thing she was like oh I feel most lonely when I'm like in a group of friends and they're being mean or they're ignoring me and I thought god me too that's the same. I feel most lonely. I feel most lonely at awkward parties that I don't want to be at or like <laughs> a publishing party. I had to go to once and read like one poem and then you're meant to mingle anywhere where you have to stand up as an adult with a glass of wine in your hand and mingle. I think that's my, my loneliest moment. <laughs> can't stand it. And then I went and hid in the toilets. That's when my last book was released. <laughs> I just didn't want to. I don't. I was reading a poem. It was like a Picador publishing party, and I thought I'm not in this world. Like I don't know what to say to people, and I walked around for a bit of randomly with this glass of wine in my hand. Um, I thought if I just get uncomfortable, I know I I could easily just down these, and then that'd be ridiculous because I'm got to go home on my own, and then that's quite stupid to just be hammered when you're going home. um So I just went and hid in the toilets and texted my mum she was like Holly you need to stop hiding in toilets at parties that you feel awkward in but I felt much better sitting on my own in the toilet than I did just wandering around in this like very sort of I was like no I don't know sort of posh atmosphere that I'm used to or just more serious or and people making conversation with you and they don't really I don't really care. Like, I don't, it's all a bit fake. That sort of atmosphere. I think that's definitely
1: my loneliest saying. Sort of like performative conversation. Yeah. 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 I suspect from what you're saying, I suspect, you know, being around those people and not sort of getting the connection that you want, I suppose the more people there not giving you that connection, the lonelier you can feel.
2: Yeah, and I know it's I know it's like partly me because I'm sure the people are lovely. So I try not to be that judgmental and think, oh, listen to that person. (laughs) What else? Um, Yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm sure lots of people feel like that. The these sort of mingling things are a nightmare for a lot of people. Um, I think it's (laughs) I think I'm sort of done with with like polite conversations. I've really had enough of them. And I feel as much as I like a lot on Radio 4, I feel the same about some of the sort of Radio 4 comedy dramas, <laughs> that sort of polite comedy or old-fashioned polite comedy. Oh, I'm just done with. I feel like all the stuff that we don't talk about is the stuff that's actually affecting people, I guess, like sexual things or masturbation and and just sort of standing around at that kind of dinner party. It's not the atmosphere I was brought up in either. It's also so fakely polite, Like, I think I find that annoying about adults. And I think that kind of, sometimes it's good, obviously, not wanting to say what you think all the time. And I don't really want people to tell me what they think of me all the time. But yeah, that sort of making conversation, oh, where do you work? Oh, oh, what do you do? It's like, but no one cares. So what are we doing? Like, I just, (laughs) I don't know. I just, yeah. And just being polite and having to watch what I say about stuff. And I guess as well from writing about a lot to do with sexual things or taboos Um, and being in circles often in more of the sort of poetry world, I guess, and with my mates, where we really do just talk about all of that stuff. And then suddenly being back into the society and remembering like, oh, I forgot that this is deemed vulgar and this is deemed rude and this is off limits and so many things that you're not allowed to talk about, which are mainly the more interesting parts of life, I think.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. It reminds me, I saw a video that you did a couple of years ago about loneliness online. You said being afraid to ask for what you want, that is often the source of loneliness. And you said that children have the edge with that because Children often feel able to ask for what they want, you know, that that affection from their friends and that that physical touch. Yeah. Um, whereas adults don't, and that 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 is what creates it, the loneliness sometimes.
2: Oh, interesting. I don't remember saying that, but I do agree with it, which would make sense if I said it. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I guess there's. I feel like as an adult, there's so many roles and there's so many things that are off limit, which obviously, in a way, is good. Like kids. I think are often happier but they're also selfish little gits sometimes so do you know what I mean like I think adults care more about other people which is why we just don't go around like demanding ice cream from people who've invited us around for a cup of tea or whatever um but yeah there are a lot there are a lot of roles of things that you can and can't do and ask people for I think that kind of touching one for me I know not everybody likes to be touched but I think we're very untouchy feeling now as a society because it's you know with our boundaries between is that a bit sexual or is that not we're very messed up about all that Mm. stuff in our culture we think we're so forward about it but I don't think we are apart from maybe yeah people in the kink community that I've met that seem to actually be able to talk about anything which is amazing to me um yeah like my daughter when they're allowed to have friends over they'd come over and just say shall we brush each other's hair or shall we you know, play, whatever, play dogs or <laughs> like stuff, <laughs> stuff that I can do with my daughter is really fun. I know people struggle with their kids, but I really like hanging out with my child a lot of the time. Um, but then if I hang out with an adult, often it's like, okay, so you can invite that person around to drink tea or you can invite them out for dinner or you could go for a walk. But the, yeah, again, there's just there's just rules that kids don't have. I think there's so much talking in adulthood as well, like so much. And it's so nice. I've got one friend, (laughs) one friend that I like go to swimming pool with and it's amazing. And she's really like loves diving and not like very seriously, but loves like bombing in the pool and stuff. Like I love swimming. But I don't love actually swimming. I like diving and bombing and splashing in the pool and swimming a bit and going under the water. But again, that's not really what you go for. You have to swim now as an adult and just, you know, do breaststroke and chat as you go up and down. Like, I don't know, if, I don't know, if, I don't know if, who chose the adulthood like to be an adult. It just meant you had to do more boring things. I don't know where that, where that rule <laughs> started. <laughs> but yeah, they're much more tactile kids are with each other. And I do have a, a, like I I wrote about it. I wrote this poem called Mother Me about how I do all this stuff for my daughter and I'd love someone to do it for me. Like even just wrapping you in a towel or combing your hair. But when you're an adult, if you ask someone to do that, it's like seen as like a sexual thing more, any touch. So it's really, it's really like different. But then my boyfriend saw the poem and he was like, I'll do it. Oh, that's that. OK, that would be excellent. actually.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but that's lovely, because I think that, you know, again, as you say, uh, you know, you talk a lot as an adult and that's wonderful, but it is only one way to connect. And I think especially, you know, with the past year of many lockdowns and restrictions and, you know, the you know, the, the idea of like touch deprivation that we've yeah. very much started talking about a lot more we realized that as lovely as it is to be able to connect and to talk over zoom in the way that we might have before it is there is still a loneliness in not having touch
2: oh yeah totally and not like yeah I felt that okay, it's a bit of a morbid thing to say but my my grand died during the first lockdown
1: I'm so sorry and so
2: oh thanks yeah she was really brilliant and I was really close to her in the family and obviously couldn't go to the funeral as was like right at the beginning of the book. It feels funny sometimes when I talk about things that actually happened in my life, but now I've put them in a book. So now it sort of feels like it's not true in a way. I don't know if you get that, but sometimes I do. Um, but yes, yeah, so I couldn't get to the funeral and I really thought it would be okay because I could watch it. And I thought it would be really nice to be alone because funerals aren't the best in my head. <laughs> not the nicest things to go to. And I genuinely did think I'd be all right, and then I thought maybe this would be better because I can just cry and no one's watching me. And my my daughter was at her dad's, so that I could watch it. She didn't want to watch it, Um, but the worst bit of it, I watched all the speech and everything, and that was fine. But the worst bit of it was when everyone got up, and I could see my mum and my auntie and my cousin Nikki, Um, and I'm really close to all of them. And they got up, and I just really wanted to like see their face, not on a screen and it, I quite like the zooms and I do a lot of zooms with like my schoolmates and mates from uni and stuff like <laughs> quite a lot or like talking to friends kids to occupy them for a bit so they can go off and do stuff and there's a lot of a lot of, <laughs> of friends zooms going on and I actually I've spoken to my friends more during lockdown than I did I did before in a lot of situations where I can't actually see them anyway but at the funeral just like this is just dread, like this is dreadful now being, being on my own. It's totally crap, um, and I just thought it wasn't even just the touch. It wasn't even like the hug. It was just seeing someone in three D that I really wanted, and it was obviously in the heaviest lockdown where I'd hardly seen anyone at all. Um, but yeah, and, and I feel not not that it's the same, but I've doing I've been doing online gigs, and obviously after like an actual live gig, which I don't really enjoy doing the live gigs that much because it's so nerve-wracking so it's been nice to do them online and not be like feeling like I'm going to be sick before I read some poems to people but it's really weird afterwards because you read all the comments and I feel like I'm really interacting with people afterwards and and, like answering some questions and stuff and whatever you see emojis popping up it's not quite the same but um but then putting that off and turning around in my house it's like oh it's so quiet like normally I'd maybe be going to a hotel room on my own sometimes but often my partner comes to the gigs or or my daughter or I go to a pub with people after and that was I was sort of trying to get my head around if I actually liked it more or less it's like ah do I prefer doing these gigs on my own and then just being able to go to bed or do I really want to go to a bar now with people that I don't know and chat to them. Not really sure. I guess it depends on the day.
1: It does. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's identifying what about those situations makes them positive or not. Yeah. 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 It's odd, does not it? Yeah. And what's your, your, your writing process? So, you know, I want to, I want to talk about alone month, what that looks like for you. I know we've spoken quite a bit about the joy of alone time. Um, earlier in the podcast um um, from from roller skating to masturbation I think we 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 covered quite a lot of ground but (laughs) I want to talk a little bit more about what alonement looks like for you as as a creative person you know what's what's your writing process like do you is is solitude important to you in that respect
2: yeah it is but i don't i often write in very different places i think so i obviously at the moment it's there's a lot less time to actually work having my daughter off school but um i never i never sit down to to write really ever i don't think um so i never really I don't write most of my poems and stuff at my desk. I've never I've never really ri- written poems from a kind of learning how to write poems. I've never studied poetry in terms of your, you know, at uni and your task now is to write a poem. So I don't really, I don't really know how to do it like that. So I'll just write when I've got an idea in my head normally, which can be anywhere, which I guess as much as there rubbish for a lot of reasons I really like mobile phones also for the being able to walk alone without totally thinking I'm going to be murdered I really like having a mobile phone (laughs) so I will take it everywhere with me um so yeah it it is important but I think I I write quite a lot I don't know like if I'm walking around the park and my daughter's playing with her friends on the swings or if I'm sitting on the train is amazing for me for writing I guess because it's not pressure. <laughs> like if I just sit at my desk and I'm totally on my own, I don't know if that's the best time for me to write really. If I'm moving, if there's stuff happening and on trains and things, um, not saying never. I often write in my bed and I normally write at night. So I think, yeah, maybe it is, but it's not, it's not really in work hours, I guess, that I write. That's what I do all the admin a lot of the time, unless something pops in my head. But in my bed at night when my daughter's asleep, I often I often want to write then because I know that if I do get into a sort of I don't know what would you say a groove although I don't think I've ever used that word before (laughs) (laughs) into the groove Uh, then I do know that there is nine hours in front of me that I could possibly carry on which happens a lot even though that means that you're then up till four in the morning I I don't really mind that at the moment not having to do basically not having to do the school run is quite helpful for me being able to work like very late at night um so that sort of silence is very helpful but it's normally writing it's normally after I've listened to stuff it's normally other people so it's not really alone time that helps me to write it's being around other people or reading somebody else's book or watching something that gives me ideas for writing.
1: That's interesting. So it's kind of that connection that then sparks your sort of independent thoughts.
2: Yeah, I think so. Not always. Like sometimes I'll be sitting at the window and I do watch the birds a lot out the window, and then I want to write something about them. But I don't think I'm a Wordsworthy type of writer. Not that I know much about uh, him. But that there's quite a lot of a lot of writing retreats that you go on, and the whole point of it is to be alone. But which are, they're not very suitable for parents, which is quite annoying. <laughs> still. Yeah. But um, so a lot of writers I know have gone for like a month, two months, even. But most of those places, I've been, I've been invited to some of them, um, but they they all seem to be in very rural areas. Like I've taught at a couple. And for some people, that's amazing, obviously, getting away from everything and to- like totally having time alone. And That's the whole point. And you go and do writing exercises and sit in these beautiful places like tiny cottages in the Scottish Highlands or f- f- wherever it is. Um, <laughs> but I, w- I went to one for like a week and I was teaching. But then you got some some time and the teacher's bits were sort of a bit away in this other cottage. And again that just that fear came back. Like I don't feel that um I don't feel that creative sitting in the Yorkshire moors on my own in, in a cottage like, not knowing what's around me. I, I think I find it like sometimes beautiful but then also I'm sort of on edge a wee bit. So I think if somebody wanted to give me a great writing retreat it would be maybe on the fourth story of a hotel in manchester that i could sit at the window and watch people go down to the bar and have a drink full of people go back up and sit at desk in a place where there's a receptionist and i feel really safe and secure and i can like see the world but i like i like i like seeing people i think to write yeah but you don't yeah you don't really get many poetry writing retreats on in cities basically
1: (laughs) Hey, I think there's something very nice about the sort of almost sterility of a um the sterility of a hotel room. It's sort of, it's like a blank slate, isn't it? Yeah, like that.
2: I love them. I'm a much better writer in a hotel room than yeah. in a cottage in the Highlands, I think.
1: But I think it's so. I think it's so important to, I, I I love that you're so honest about your writing process, and I love that you know you kind of say, "Look, it's okay." I I you know I write a lot on my on my iPhone. You know, I know that on your mm. Instagram, you quite often share like iPhone notes uh in, in the, <laughs> yeah, from the yeah. Uh, yeah like notes in the in the notes app um of poems you've written and it just it shows you know you you don't have it doesn't have to look a certain way and even if you know I think that you know talking about you, you talking about sitting up late at night and you know writing in your bed until four in the morning maybe that looks a bit more you know what one might imagine would be typical but I think there's all sorts of ways and you very much have your own way of doing it even if it's in those snatched moments of you know your daughter's playing in the park or you're on the train
2: yeah I could I honestly couldn't think of anything worse than like writing in like a writing shed as people call them at the end of a garden I would just constantly be looking around to see if anyone was trying to get in yeah I think there's such but there's that's like everything isn't it it's such a romanticized idea of writers I think and where you're doing it and it's often in the wilderness or cottages or but I think that's also quite male I guess I think it
1: is yeah I think I mean the whole like and this is why with alonement it's really important to me with alonement to have different sort of aspirational figures of aloneness because you know I think we talk about yeah henry threw going off to the woods to write you know his novel and there's that notion that that's the only way that you can be alone and that's the only valid way of being alone and so you know for you to be able to say look obviously alone time does play into your creation like it does play into your poetry and your writing um but you know that can look like a moment away from your daughter in the park or that can look like writing in your bed at night
2: yeah and don't get me wrong I honestly feel like I would have written (laughs) a lot more if I had more time like I do get frustrated not having enough time to write just because there's lots of ideas I have in my head like with a lot of people of things I'd like to and sometimes I get sort of jealous of the sort of carefree wealthier section of society who can and sometimes I get (laughs) very annoyed with how much we praise writers who have had all the time in the world to write because I think if I had that I'd have written like (laughs) much more um but yeah I think it's also quite capitalist isn't it really or like sort of extreme capitalist that we're constantly told that in order to do something we have to go somewhere, buy something, wear something specific, you know, have a lovely looking writing desk, have a spare room, which is our office, have a shed in the garden. Like we just want want to make people feel like they can't, you know, can't go out for a run without buying a new like jogging outfit. That seems to be the thing at the moment. And to sort of sell this idea that you can't just do stuff, you've got to buy something in order to do it like even that even the the sort of <laughs> i think female pleasure is being picked up by that a lot i think sex toys and stuff are, are amazing in a lot of ways but i feel like like are we just starting to talk about female orgasms and masturbations a lot now because there are so many more industries trying to sell stuff or are they doing it because we're talking about it more it's hard hard to know but i feel like that a bit about the writing process like oh i need to book a week in Dorset in order to write this book, you know, and therefore if you can't book a week in Dorset, then you probably can't be a writer, that sort of thing. And that's something I, that's something that weirdly I've liked about the lockdown with my daughter, especially is that I've realised that every single activity that we've done in the like two hours where she's between work and like speaking to friends or whatever on the phone or on the internet it's just been free like we've just been walking or skating <laughs> skating um or cycling or whatever going on like out to the back and climbing trees it's all been free so mm. like, oh no one's really been able to sell me stuff <laughs> like to do because I can't go anywhere anyway and that's been quite nice to realize that
1: yeah, I suppose, yeah it feels real doesn't it
2: yeah a wee bit don't get me wrong i'm really looking forward to going back to the trampoline park that's another thing that's another thing i love trampolining love it it's like possibly my favorite thing to do for fun um and i love going to the trampoline park in glasgow with my daughter but then once we went we went to this trampoline park we're meant to be there for about two hours we stay and um it's got massive like foam pits that you can do stuff in (sighs) do stuff in that's a weird thing to say that you can bounce in <laughs> but she made a friend like one time we went and I was like okay yeah yeah cool go off with your friend and then I realized I was alone trampoline and alone and I love it Like I, I love doing flips I love practicing all this different stuff but I was like Holly you've got to do this you love it like your daughter's not even and with you she's just next to you like come on it's like it's like being a child again like taking your mum's hand away it's like Holly you can do this your right. <laughs> own. You can bounce. So, what if the other parents think you're a dick? Uh, It doesn't matter.
1: I think, you know what? If there's an overriding theme of this episode, I think it's being you can do fun things alone.
2: I know. Or with another adult. Like, fuck what people think, man. Just bloody do
1: it. Yeah. Anyone listening to the, you know, go off trampolining, masturbate, roller skate, all of these things. It's like bullying, isn't it? People are going to pick something else if you don't do it anyway to (laughs) tease you
2: about. So, just do the stuff that you like.
1: Oh, well, this has been the longest podcast episode of the series and because I just could not stop speaking to you. Oh, Thank you so much for your time that's and all, right. and for all your insights.
2: Oh well you too. I can't wait to read your book. It sounds amazing. It's gonna make me feel much better about the roller
1: skate and I can feel it already. Oh bless you. I will definitely get you sent over a copy. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Holly.
2: That's all right. It's lovely. I'm going to make my daughter some cake now to thank
1: her for. Oh, bless you. <laughs> it's You're so, so good. Well. There's, there's, yeah, that that potato waffle bribe you gave her at the start of the episode really—that was good. Really paid off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely deserves that cake. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Alonement, my book, Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It, is now available to order online on Amazon, Waterstones, WH Smith, Foyles, Blackwells, and just about any good booksellers' website. As ever, do consider sharing this episode with a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. Until next time. Hold up!